This is Shane Holloway, one of Stephen Hall's all-time great. Here with my guys from Left Coast Pirates. Let's get it. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around it in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. Mike, I got to tell you something. My grandfather used to tell me one thing and one thing only. Don't podcast angry, Michael. And I don't know if I'm going to get through this without being angry. We went over this last week. We talked about not podcasting angry, but I also told you that I wasn't going to give you a legit prediction for this week. And exactly why I didn't want to give you that prediction is what went down. You had Seton Hall all over the map in two games that could have gone either way. You know, it felt at times that maybe Seton Hall should run both teams out of the building, but you know, the ball bounces a certain way. It's a team that's still trying to find itself. And what happens Tom? One and one. I said, it felt like a one-in-one one week. I said it could go anyway, you know, 0-2, 2-0, but it played itself down the middle. And you're just upset because hours ago, we were on the losing side of the, you know, the final tally. And now you got to come on the show all emotional. You normally need to, like, sleep it off for a night. I'm going to be upset because I'm going to be editing the heck out of this thing tonight, taking out the four-letter words that we're going to be dropping. So don't edit. Just keep it raw. Keep it real. <laughs> From the heart, Tommy. From the heart. We're gonna have we're gonna have one of those a parental discretion advisory warnings on this one. But this week on the podcast, we're going to review the win at Marquette and the loss against Providence. We're gonna see what the pandemic pandemonium got for us this week. We take a look at the Pirates and the Pros, and we do a quick preview of the upcoming game against Georgetown. But first, Seton Hall 70, Marquette 63. The Pirates got off to a hot start on a pair of threes for Miles Kale and took a 15-5 lead. Marquette cut it to four on a McEwen three, but a Sandro Steele and Dunk gave the Seton Hall Pirates a 34-28 halftime advantage. The Pirates would twice push the lead to 11 in the second half but Marquette would not go quietly into the night and a DJ Carton 3 would tie it with a buck 53 to play but Shavar Reynolds big shot Shavar answered with a go ahead 3 off a nice dish from Sandro to pull the hole back up 64-61 and they would go on to ice it from the free throw line to close it out alright Tom stats on this one Sandro Swiss Army Knife, we're going to start calling him. 17.7 assists, career high again. Six boards, three steals. Jared Roden, 16 points, eight boards. Shavar Reynolds, 11 points, 
four rebounds, four assists, and as you mentioned, the go-ahead three-pointer with 34 seconds to play. For Marquette, you had DJ Carton with a team-high 16. Dawson Garcia, first-team all-preseason rookie team, eight points and 12 rebounds for the Super Frosh. From a team perspective, Seton Hall had a solid shooting night, 9 of 21 from three-point range, 15 of 18 from the free-throw line, including nine for nine in the second half alone. Seton Hall was very careful with the ball, holding an 11 to 14 turnover edge versus the Golden Eagles, but Marquette held the advantage on the glass, 38 to 29. Tom, the turning point for me in this one, you would think that it's an obvious answer, right? Shavar's bucket to give them the lead, but but Marquette still had tons of momentum with this big rally, and they appeared to still carry that momentum on the following possession when Kobe McEwen's three-pointer went in to basically tie the game. However, the refs made the right call and ruled it a traveling. Advantage Pirates, to me, that was the turning point. That call by the refs, you could see Wojo losing his mojo on the sideline. At that point, Seton Hall iced it from the free throw line, as you mentioned. But, I mean, if, if they don't call that traveling and that three goes in to tie – that's back-to-back possessions that Marquette would have hit back-breaking threes, you know, in that big rally that they had. I don't know how many times the Pirates could have answered on the other side of the court. So big traveling call, good job from the line to ice it, big win on the road for the Pirates. It wasn't even that hard a call. I mean, that was a James Harden-esque type walk. I mean, he took three full steps going into his shot. So they, I don't know what Wojo was losing his mind. I mean, that's not even a hometown call. Could you even make the argument that the uh, the player who passed, I think it was DJ Carton, set him up? He dragged his pivot foot trying to make the pass. Sure, he like dragged sure, it and tried Absolutely. Try I just I thought they traveled both times on that play. So yeah, easy easy call. Uh, I'm glad it finally went the way of the Pirates, and we got one in the win column. Well, but that, let's not say that that was the reason why we won, Mike. There's lots of good things that happened in this game. Let me put my blue tinted glasses on here, Mike. Hey. That defense of ours looked stellar. I mean, look at us. We forced 14 turnovers. The one kid that we've been complaining about, Tyrese Samuel, he was moving his feet better. And he had a hard matchup down there, man. He was he spent a lot of that first half taking Theo John. That's a, that's a load of a kid. Did you just say Theo John was a tough matchup? For, Come for, on. For Tyrese Samuel, sure. But he was staying in front of the fours as well. But what was most impressive, Mike, I really enjoyed seeing Kale, Roden, and Molson really shut down the outside of that defense, man. That was like a shield. I thought, we're going to have to start calling them the shield or something. Well, there's a combination. So Kevin likes to institute this three quarters or full court pressure where they kind of fall back into their man-to-man of the zone. You know, and they're not really creating turnovers off that pressure, but it's forcing the opposition to maybe take a solid 10 or 12 seconds before they get into their offensive set and feel comfortable. As you mentioned, they're stopping dribble penetration. I did not see a lot of easy buckets on dribble drive penetration from Marquette throughout the entire night. So yeah, kudos to those guys and not kind of, you know, hanging the bigs out to dry where they have to kind of come over and backfill and leave the offensive glass unattended. So absolutely great job. And to be honest, I felt like the defense was even better than what the results on the scoreboard were showing. It felt like this game could have been a larger margin, if not for some really tough shots on Marquette's side actually going in. I mean, I'm just going to give you a handful here. And I'm sitting there going, oh, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I was emotionally into this game. Maybe it's because it was hated Marquette, but 
McEwing hits a deep bank shot over Sandro early in the game, and you're like, come, come on. Don't let that crap go in, right? And then Theo John, right? The- Theo John, you-, you play the scouting report, you back off, and there's Theo John stroking a three, like Flat. holding the hit flat-footed three-point shot and the team was so impressed with that shot that the next time Theo John had the ball out by the three Tyrese Samuel was almost at the dotted line for crying out loud well maybe he shouldn't have been we should have listened to the scouting report I mean after the after he makes the three-pointer the announcer's like and that makes him three for three on the season three for three is this the same Theo John that we've watched for the previous like seven seasons like what am I missing seven seasons all right, but 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 then Theo, you said Theo's having a good game, and Theo backs in uh, Samuel on the on the left block, and he leans in with the right, completely off balance, and just throws like a missile off the backboard, and it goes in. And then in the second half, you got McEwing. I, I take that back. I think this one was also the first half, but McEwing came off like a little pick, and he's you know, but he's still like a solid four feet behind the three point line, and he's putting up Powell range and drilling that one. And then obviously in the second half. As I mentioned, as you know, Carton hits the three to tie it at 61-61. You know, Seton Hall didn't just give up an easy look there. The ball rolls out almost like to mid-court. He picks it up. There's only a couple seconds to go on the shot clock. And he hits like a 30-footer. I mean, thank goodness there were no fans in the building. Because, I mean, I, I felt my heart being ripped out as that shot went in. God forbid there were fans in the building. Oh, my God. That was just like, that. That's, Tom, that's five separate possessions where you're like, there's no way that shot should have gone in, and they all went the way of Marquette. And you don't think that there's any sort of home court advantage when they're playing these games. These guys are comfortable there because those shots are not going in at the rock. But, Mike, hey, let's keep talking about good times here. We had some roster additions that popped up. Bryce Aiken came back. Oh, my goodness. Kevin was playing possum. We're not going to see him till the Providence game. And what happens? He comes back in the Marquette game. You know, he was a bit rusty. He played about 12 minutes, and that's how you manage minutes there, Kevin. Good job there. Let's make sure he doesn't turn another ankle. He went three points, one assist, one rebound, a steal, and a turnover. Not a whole lot to look at there. He had flashes of quickness. We could use the backcourt depth. Uh, That was going to be my takeaway. It's like, all right, we're starting to get the full roster to come into shape, and then we're going to transition over to uh, the Providence game later today. But at that moment in time, I'm like, all right, there we go. He got his 12 minutes. Maybe we'll see some more next game. He'll start building them up 20, 25. And then we got a solid, you know, four, four man rotation in the backcourt. And if you want to start building in Jahari long back into the mix, yeah, now you got some real depth. And then we were also hoping to see an appearance out of Trey Jackson. Obviously he didn't take the court, but the news prior to the game with the fact that he's now eligible due to the rule change for the NCAA now making everybody who was supposed to be in a sit-out season eligible to take the court. That was encouraging. You know, it was a DMP, but it's another piece, another another player that can challenge the front court guys to step their game up, or better yet, just give Sandra a rest. I mean, Sandra is logging some big minutes at this point. There was no way Trey Jackson was playing that game. I believe it was that morning that it was this was announced. There's no way that this kid was going to get into that first game. 
We're going to talk about him making his initial appearance in Providence. But at that point, he had a different set of practice to go through. And, and then he was ready to make some sort of appearance. But it was just silly to think that he was going to play against Marquette. But, Tom, he got on the plane. He got on the plane. <laughs> of course. Guess what? He also put on a pair of shorts and a jersey in the locker room, Tom. I mean, he had to have gotten uh, in the game, right? Mike, you're poking the bear, Mike. You're poking the bear. Blue glasses, right? We're in the blue glasses We're in section. the blue, blue glasses, Michael. Uh, uh, all right. I was actually encouraged because as much as we pick on Willard for not really having an offensive system, I felt like they had an offensive philosophy in this game, and it was run the offense or get the ball to Sandro in the post or, or, ba- or basically just have him run the break. Give, give him the ball and let him go. Whatever it was, he's your best player right now. He's your most confident player. You got to let him run the show. And what was nice about him getting the ball is he didn't just hog it, right? He recognized the double teams. He got his teammates involved and he had seven assists, seven assists from a big guy in the post. I mean, that you can build an offensive system off of that. If he's going to be that willing of a passer game in and game out. Now, Mike, the most important thing in this world is learning things. And I'm going to share with everybody what I've learned from you. You love to bring your brother up, so I'm going to bring a family member of my own in. My wife is a big basketball fan. She couldn't tell you who's playing. She can't She can't differentiate which guy is which. I'll point out this. I'll point out that. And she's got her favorite. She loves herself some Jared Roden, but that's besides the point. But she looks at me at one point and says, why is your point guard 6'11"? Why is he... Why can't you get a smaller point guard like normal teams, which I found hysterical. But all of a sudden, all of these fears that we had about having Shavar run the point because he's not a truly a point guard. Hell, it's it's the Sandro show. He's running some point forward over there and it's it's going well. I don't want Sandro running point <laughs> and playing point forward in the half court. If Sandro gets no, a rebound, obviously. And- and starts the transition and gets us into that fast break, high pace that we want to do by playing that point forward. I'm okay with it. I don't like Sandro clearing out at the top of the circle. I'm going to rewind for a second. I think it's the mustache. Jared Roden's got that stylish (laughs) mustache. You know, maybe you wise it to the mustache and you had the beard thing going. Maybe you should bring the mustache back. Just a solo mustache. Yeah, mine's too gray. But Mike, we're going to go one last point on this blue tinted glasses. And this might get a little negative, but but we're going to try to stay positive here. Big shot Shavar, Mike. This is now getting to be repetitive here. He hits big shots. Let's reel it back a little bit and let's be honest about the situation. Shavar had played 26 minutes. He had 11 points, four rebounds, four assists, only one turnover. But I'm going to tell you this, Mike. In the first 25 and a half minutes that he played in that game, he had four points and he basically was invisible. He was not doing a whole lot during that game. But in that last half minute, he was able to hit the go-ahead three and he iced it with four free throws. This is getting to be a good story here, Mike. He's hitting open shots, which is what we want him to do. Sandro drew the defense, chucked it over to him. He put it up. You got to be excited about this, no? We want to root against a player on the Pirates for us not to win. You want me me to sit there and go, no, I want to win the game in spite of Shavar? No, I'm not going to say that. Obviously, I'm rooting for the guy. And this is the blue tinted glasses section. So we want to stay positive. How many players in their pirate career have hit the magnitude of shots that Shavar has now hit in three separate games? You have, you know, the Penn State game. You have the Marquette game. 
you have the St. John's game. I mean, that's that's a nice little collection right there for anybody in Pirate Blue. If you're going back and we're, we're interviewing the guy, let's say the summer's the summer sessions, we got three games to talk to Javar about outside of his you know his backstory. But people forget the possession before that. You know, he, he drove and took a bad shot in the lane prior to that whole sequence of us being tied and then having to bail out off of the Sandro pass. If he takes that bad drive prior, they tie it, we don't score, and then we lose that game, or are we going to be criticizing Shavar and not have him in the blue tinted glasses section and say, hey, he didn't have the ability to break his guy down off the dribble and create a shot late in the game? I'm with you. Let him spot up and shoot. I'm still not sold on the whole port guard play, and we're going to talk a little bit about that when we go over the Providence game. What I'm really not sold on is the big hullabaloo that comes around it, the big stories around it, the big fireworks that go off every time he does something. Well, I like that he's hitting big shots. Keep hitting your shots. Keep hitting your free throws. I don't want to sound like, sound like I'm sour grapes and gripes before it's time. Well, uh, well, let me clarify my statement again. Then maybe, maybe I didn't say it the right way. What I was trying to say is you don't want to kind of start reading your press clippings, right? When you become big shot, Bob, big shot, Shavar, you know, sometimes you sit there and go, well, yeah, maybe I am right. Maybe late in the game. That's me. That's what this team needs for me. So therefore you're going to see me be the guy over and over again. That's still not Shavar, right? If Shavar is now open late in the game, I think, Without a doubt, we all have the confidence that he can knock down the open shot. But if I tell you, clear out, we're down by one, and Shavar is going to take his guy one-on-one, are you okay with that being the offensive set? Oh, no, not at all, man. Okay, and that's all That's all I'm getting at. And all the storylines and all the backstory, that doesn't change the fact that down the stretch, the ball went to Sandro, right? And Sandro is making winning plays. He made the pass to Shavar in the Penn State game. He made the pass to Shavar in the Marquette game. Hey, guess what? He made the winning play in the Louisville game. Molson just missed it at the rim. That's three straight games under a minute to play. You run the offense through Sandro, and he makes the right pass. And we should have been 3-0 and based on those passes. That's what should be highlighted here. And it was all about big shot Shavar. And it really should have been a, a collection of, hey, we are composed late in these games. And we're running the offense through Sandro and Sandro is making winning plays. And I thought that storyline got lost a little bit. That, that's all. I, I just want to mention, I don't think I've heard big shot Shavar out there yet in the, in the, in the Twitter verse. I just want to say that this is my, my name for him. And we're going to, we're going to. Oh, no, 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 no. Seton Hall put it out there. Seton Hall put did it they out really there. Say big yes, they did. Oh, big shot Shavar, man. man. All right. I'll, I'll let them have it, but it, it's a good name. I like it. It works, but you know, it wouldn't be our podcast if we didn't complain about something. Didn't it feel like this should have been a cruise control, double digit victory. Second half about nine Oh five left. Kale hits a three to push it to 11. And we're just sitting there going, man, this is easy. I mean, we're playing a great game. You know, we're taking counter punches, but we're hitting them back. But what happens after that? Molson misses a three early in the shot clock. Next time down, Shavar turns the ball over. Next time down, Sandro misses a jumper. Next time down, Molson with another turnover. And you know what? You're looking at a four-point lead all of a sudden in the matter of minutes. It, it just went boom, boom, boom real fast. Well, didn't Zach Bazilla say that when he was on our show and we were joking about the, the spread against St. John's coming out at nine and a half and Zach's first reaction is there's nothing about this Seton Hall team that says to me, I'm going to beat an in-conference opponent by double digits. 
I, I don't think we're there yet. I think there are times where you analyze a segment of the game and it felt like for the majority of this game, you were like, we are the better team. We're playing better basketball across the court, offensively and defensively, but they have lapses. And at times, sometimes their talent level is a middle of the pack talent level for the Big East. So you're going to see times where you're like, wow, we should be up by like 12 to 15 and we're going to let teams back into the game. It reared its ugly head in the Providence game as well. But I'm with you. I'm sitting there going the entire game going, oh, we got this one. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's going on here? Right? But I think you're just going to see a lot of that this year. They don't have that put-you-away mentality. And I also don't think they have the offensive guy that could just put you on their back when you have the team on the ropes to just hit that dagger shot. Powell did that time and time again where you're just like, oh, that's a killer. But that was in our benefit. Typically, what's happened to Seton Hall over the years, and last year we were spoiled. Miles was the one that was running people out of the building. Just that's not this team, Tom. It's just not. Well, and you know, another thing that led us to losing the lead that we had, I'll tell you what, Sandro doesn't get those superstar calls, man. And, it is, and against Marquette, it hurts a little bit because if you farted in Marcus Howard's direction, that whistle was blowing. You know, do, does Willard need to get up and throw his mask on the court after not getting after Sandro not getting one of these calls coming up soon? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. He's just got to do it earlier in the game and set the tone. We were complaining about it down the stretch. And at that point, you can't take a tee. And, and, and rightfully so, Willard was still losing his, you know, his mind on the sideline. And then he composed himself to not get a technical on that, that spot. But I mean, geez, if, if that was, if Sandro was playing for Jay Wright, he's probably shooting 20 free throws a game. He was not going to the basket soft. He was attacking the basket with veracity. I'm sorry. You always complain and say that he's shrugging all the time and he's got to be tougher. Tom, he wasn't shrugging. Not this year, Mikey. He oh, man. This year. He wasn't shrugging. And there was a couple of times that he looked over at the ref and he's just like, are you kidding me? He threw up a hand. It was like a, it was like a half shrug. But he was just like, are, are you kidding me? And then he ran back on D and then came at the basket again. Still didn't get the call. And I give him all the credit in the world for not backing off and starting to settle for jump shots. He attacked the rim till the final buzzer. So good for Sandro. No, and I don't mind him shrugging at the ref when he's asking him, where's my foul call? I mind when he gets called for a foul and he's like, what, me? But no, Sandro needs to start getting those calls and maybe in Providence we'll see it. But Mike, I'll tell you what, one thing that we're still, we're, we're one of the bigger teams in the country and what are we still doing? We're still having a hard time on the glass. And this, and this game was no exception. We had another opponent that had more than 10 offensive rebounds on us. And our bigs are just not boarding well, Mike. It's just eye-opening, right? I mean, you have Garcia, Kane, and Lewis combined for 28 rebounds. And like I said, I thought our front court held its own to the most part. But then you go back and look at the box score. And I'm, I'm just going to highlight Tyrese and Ike because they play the five for us. And they combined for a total of three rebounds. <laughs> Ike logged 22 minutes and grabbed two boards. He's seven foot two. You know, I, I, I'm going to make a Knicks reference here, but I had a buddy who used to watch the Knicks uh, and Eddie Curry was like averaging three rebounds a game. And he'd be like, if I was in there, I could have like three rebounds, like accidentally fall on my head. You know, Ike seven two two seventy five, 275. And he makes certain guys out there look like they don't belong on the court with them. Like he's a man child versus guys in middle school. And he grabbed two boards, Tom. And then conversely, you got Tyrese, who only had one rebound in the game. 
And it's debatable if he even had that rebound <laughs> because that's the play where he kind of tipped it back in and we got the bucket, but the announcer goes, oh, Justin Lewis tipped it into his own basket. That's going to get you know, credited to Tyrese. And I'm like, that was his only rebound for the game. That was it. If you look at our front court, Mike, if you take Mamu, Ike, and Tyrese, you got nine total rebounds for the game. And like you just said, Garcia, Kane, and Lewis got 28. We won't talk about Theo's two rebounds because he didn't exactly go hard, but that is a that is a monstrous difference there. It's just going to be certain nights where you're going to look back at that type of statistic. You're going to look at nights where the free throw shooting is inconsistent, and you're going to say we lost the game due to fundamentals. Free throw shooting actually was a positive for us in this game, and they were lucky that you lose you know the rebounding battle by almost 10 again. What, what did I say it was earlier on? It was 38 to 29. Normally, if you get beat by almost 10 on the boards, you don't come out in the win column in most games. So they got to just, I'm not saying they have to dominate people on the boards, but they got to keep it even or a heck of a lot closer to even than what they've been doing if they want to be successful because this team just doesn't have the same margin for error without a Miles Powell, without a Romero Gill erasing shots on the back line. It's just that they got to be better across all of the small little things that a team needs to do to be a NCAA tournament team. But Mike, all in all, we won the game. We won on the road at Marquette, who had just beaten Creighton. That's a good win. A great win. No, no, no. I mean, look, we, we, we did our blue tinted glasses. We gave you sour grapes and gripes. End of the day, 2-0 to start conference play. You come back home to Providence on, on cloud nine, kind of. You know, it's, it's a nice win in the win column. Probably their marquee victory so far for the season. And, you, you know, you hope to kind of go 2-0 for the week. But Providence 80, Seton Hall 77. The two teams played an evenly matched first half, and a Takal Molson hustle play led to a Samuel dunk for a 23-16 Hall lead. The Friars answered back with an 8-0 run of their own, and then it was back and forth into the half, and Pirates led 40-38. The Pirates jumped out to a 9-point lead early in the second half, but then Providence responded with a 12-2 run to retake the lead. Late in the game, two traditional three-points plays by Sandro sandwiched around a pair of David Duke free throws sent the game into overtime tied at 72. In the overtime, Sandro did it again, tying the game with a and one at 77, but the rims got tight until A.J. Reeves hit a three in the corner for the final margin. All right, Tommy, the box score on this one. Sandro, 20 points again. Not as efficient this time. 6 of 17 from the floor. 8 of 12 from the free throw line. Still had 6 assists. Another 6 rebounds. And then he got support across the board. Kale, 16 points, 5 rebounds. 4 of 5 from 3-point range. Jared Roden, another 16 points. Shavar Reynolds with 12. And Ike had 9 rebounds, 6 points, and 3 blocks. For Providence, Nate Watson was a man underneath. 23 points, 10 of 16 from the floor, 11 boards to boot, and he wasn't the only player with a double-double for the Friars. David Duke had 18 points and 10 rebounds as well, and Jared Bynum was in a point and two assists away from a double-double himself, 9-8 and eight for the transfer. The team stats, rebounding, there it is again, rebounding edge, Providence, 38 to 32, but Seton Hall was feisty on D, 11 steals. One would think that that would have led to a bunch of fast break points, 
but this game was played predominantly in the half court as Seton Hall held the fast break margin 10 to four in total points scored. Tom, turning point on this one. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You mentioned it in the summary, early second half, Seton Hall leads by nine and Sandra gets an open three. Misses. Roden grabs the offensive rebound, kicks it out to Shavar, open three. He misses. Ike gets the offensive rebound, fouled, and they go to a timeout. They come back out of the timeout. Kale gets an open three in the corner, misses. Ike gets the offensive rebound, and he put back a Theo-esque John type brick up, <laughs> brick up against the backboard. And then Providence secures the ball finally, heads back up court, and Noah Horsher makes a three-pointer. And all of a sudden, it's a six-point game. And that sparked that 12-2 to two run for the Friars. Now, we keep on saying, don't, don't mention family members. I got my brother over to watch football, so the, the football game's on one screen. You know, God, I feel bad for him because the Jets actually won the game and they're going to blow their number one pick. <laughs> but he's letting out his angry vibes as we've got the Seton Hall game on the other screen. And he goes, I'm sorry. He's like, that's a backbreaking sequence. And then as it continues to play out, he's like, oh, man. He's like, you guys should be running him out of the building. And all of a sudden, this is a tight game again. And that's exactly how I felt. This is like that Marquette game all over, except this time Seton Hall wasn't able to overcome it. They got back in it. They lose in overtime. But when you play with fire and you don't put a team away, these turning points are crushing. That was, that's where the, the team last year had that killer instinct. I'm not saying that you know, they automatically make those shots, but if you tell me that Powell's taken one of those threes that we missed, I'm, I'm more confident that we're kind of running the score up at that point and we're taking them out of the building. Also, if we had a crowd, this is where you keep on telling me home court still matters. If we had the crowd involved at that point, you know, we did answer at one point in their run with a big Ike dunk. You know, I, I just think the crowd not being there changes everything. And these collective plays that are creating these momentum changes are so monumental without the crowd being present. And to have them on the ropes and give up a 12-2 run when you had three looks, potentially four looks, if you want to count Ike's putback, man, that was it. I just it, Nothing felt right after that. So before we get too angry about this game, let's put our blue-tinted glasses on and talk about what we saw that went well. Hey, we had a hell of a first half from our wings. So I'm talking about Miles Kale and Jared Roden. Both of them had double-digit first halves. Miles had 14 points on 4-4 four four shooting from 3, and he had a monster dunk. I know you don't like those monster dunks, Mike, but he leaned into it and gave it a little oomph. And Jared Roden had 11 points, who's quickly becoming my wife's favorite player. But as much as I enjoyed seeing them play well in that first half, the team went away from them in the second half. Miles only had one more three attempted for the entire game. And I'm telling you, I think Jared Roden only had one or two shots himself. Blue tinted glasses, Tommy. It's a, come on. When we leave, I'm just... trying not to <laughs> podcast angry, Mike, but it's just coming out. It, it, it's it's encouraging to see the two of them get involved early, have a double-digit performance collectively. Normally, it's one or the other. They both did it. Sandra was passing the ball out of the double teams again. Yeah, I was I was really excited. I I would just like to see them do it for an entire game. I don't know what happened. I I think I made a mention to you is that Providence stopped double teaming Sandro, and Sandro then had to take advantage of that and try to go up himself, and he just wasn't making the bunnies around the basket. I mean, he was in traffic. They challenged his shots, but they started playing him straight up. Hence the six for 17. And until late in the game, he was like two of 10. So 
I, I just, I want to find ways to make sure that when Jared and Miles are having that hot of a first half, you find a way to keep them engaged in the offensive game plan. And like you said, as awesome of a start it was, they were non-existent for the rest of the game and overtime. All right, keep, keep, find, find me something else positive here. Well, you know, you already said that Nate Watson had himself a game, but our starting center as well, he played him tough, man. Ike had six points, nine boards, and three big blocks. He seemed to play pretty well. So the listeners are probably going, they're reaching, they're reaching here. Nate Watson goes 10 to 16. We said he played like a, you know, a seventh year senior, which it feels like he is. Um, <laughs> he's on Nate the Perry had, Ellis uh, scholarship program. Well, no, Nate, Nate had a couple injuries, right? So he's got some medical red shirts and he comes back. That, that's besides the point. The point is Nate's a polished senior out there playing. And there was a lot of times that Ike did not go for the pump fakes held his ground. I thought he went straight up and, and then Nate Watson was leaning into him, got a couple calls against it. There was a couple times that, you know, there's some bad shots went up that Ike came over to help out. And then because Ike came over to help out, you know, Nate Watson came in for the offensive board. I don't think that Nate Watson's stat line is reflective of how well Ike played in this game. If Ike had a little bit softer hands, he probably, she finishes like four of six double digits, almost 10 rebounds. We yelled at him for not grabbing boards in the Marquette game. Here he was with nine, you know, and he's blocking three shots at the same time. He gave you 30 minutes. And the reason why he probably didn't play more is because Willard likes to balance those minutes, but he wasn't in foul trouble. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned his hands. We're going to have to call him the hands of stone because those hands are awful, Mike. I mean, hey, I, haven't, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen hands like that since Luther Wright, Mike. No, you did. You did. Romero Gill, when he first got on the court for Seton Hall, he had the same hands of stone. So so there's we're making progression, right? So we're trying to find something positive from this effort is Ike, Ike played a solid game. He continues to get better. Maybe by the, the back half of the season, you're getting that same kind of progression you got from Romero Gill. I'm just trying to be positive here. It was a good game for Ike. What else can we say about this team? We got down by five to Providence. It looks like Providence is going to pull away. But this team continues to find ways to hit big shots. Between Sandro bullying his way to the, to the, to the basket a pair of times for traditional threes like we mentioned. Or Shavar hitting a late three. It just seems like this team's got that gear that we're not going to give up. Big shot, Shavar. Get it right. Big, Big shot, shot Shavar. I still think I got that name in first. I'm sorry. Most times when you see a team have the lead slip away, you watch the other team hit some dagger threes. They were even getting some friendly whistles to kind of get to the free throw line. You, you, at some point, a team to just gives up, right? You get a little demoralized. Or you, how many times can you answer? This team continually does it in the Kevin Willard regime. I mean, I remember going back to the Gonzo days, and you're like, are we ever going to hit a big shot late? They had a lot of big shots in the Kevin Willard decade of coaching where you're like, wow, we pulled that game out late. We hit that big three. We rallied descended overtime. This team just, they, they find a way. And it's now happened several times just in the season alone. So that's encouraging that as the season goes along, you're probably going to find yourself in a lot of Big East dogfights. This team is starting to get battle tested a little bit. So yeah, there's a positive from that perspective as well. They don't quit. They find a way to make the big shot. They're resilient. That, that's a great quality to have in a team that you want to see make a run. Hey, Mike, okay. I'm gonna th- I'm gonna take one. Uh, I'm gonna take an exception to one thing you said. You said about the whistles, and I saw this post game on Twitter that fans were complaining that Providence was getting the whistles. Hey, 
we led the free throw charge here. We went 16 of 21 for the game, and Providence went 13 for 16. And as far as personal fouls called, Providence had one up on the on the Pirates. It was 19 to, 19 calls against Providence, 18 against the Pirates. This game was not decided by a ref's whistle. I'm, I'm not saying that the refs took the game away from us, but there was a you know there was, there was a play where David Duke got caught on Trevar on a switch late. And this is before we tied it up at the end of regulation. And I, I don't think Shavar was bodying him up He's that much. He's a star. He gets that call. But he hasn't even made his move yet. He was at the free throw line, backing down to the basket. And they're calling a little, as Raph would say, a little nickel dimer. You know, I, come on. And, they, and at that point, it's a one-point game. He goes to the free throw line, makes both free throws. And I'm thinking that the game's over before Sandro hits the three-point play and unexplicably gets fouled by Providence. Oh, I mean, that was just such a bad foul. What a bad decision. By that but player, but if Sandro man. doesn't make that three point play, we're bitching about that call. We just are. I, I, is it a soft call? Sure, but is it egregious? No. It, David Duke is a star. He earns those kind of calls. But there's plenty of stuff we can complain about, Mike. So let me hear it. What are your sour grapes and gripes? Ah, uh, I I was excited in the in the Marquette game that you saw Bryce Aiken get in right. You know, unexpected appearance, twelve minutes, gonna start building up the depth and start kind of working him back. You know, there was, we didn't see uh, Trey Jackson, but Willard's like, don't worry, he's getting in the next game. So you're hoping that this rotation is now going to go eight or nine deep. We can push pace. We can continue to press. You can get guys in and out and stay fresh. I mean, Sandro can't be playing 39 minutes a night, right? Shavar can't be playing 35 to 38 minutes a night. And that didn't happen. I mean, the, this the distribution of minutes in this game for an overtime game was barely a seven-man rotation. I'm going to give you a couple of the numbers, and then you tell me if you agree or disagree. It's an overtime game where we had a lead at points. You know, it, was, it wasn't like we had to battle back the entire time. Sandro, 41 minutes. Kale and Roden, 39 minutes. Shavar, 38. Tom, I don't think this team is winning with a short rotation only nine games into the year. They are going to wear Shavar and Sandro down to the point where they're going to start losing their effectiveness come the back end of the season. Oh, okay. I, I think today's minute allocation was more of a function of how people were playing. Bryce Aiken looked lost out there. He looked lost on offense. He looked lost on defense. I mean, there was a play in the second half. I, I want to say he got like two minutes in the second half combined because there was a play where he ended up under the basket where he should have just scooped up a little layup and he threw some crazy pass that almost flew into the, the the cutout crowd out there. So, I mean, he looked awful. Your man Molson didn't exactly play a stellar game today either. I think what Willard did was he went with the hot hand. And yes, Trey Jackson got in for a few minutes to wet his feet. You know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. I don't what, even what's, know. What's there to talk about? A cup of coffee? Uh, I mean, come it, it was barely a cup of coffee, but you know, I, when things like this happen, it just shows you that Willard doesn't have, he doesn't have faith in some of the other guys. Like, you know, Jahari Long, you couldn't have spelled uh, Shavar in there for a couple minutes with Jahari Long. If Bryce Aiken's not performing, is he out of the rotation completely now? Uh, now, forget about Jahari Long. And I'm not trying to pick on Jahari. Yeah, Jahari's out of the rotation. If that's not well, obvious... But well, but you're talking about wearing guys down. You're talking about Bryce Aiken not playing well. So you got to do about, something. 
But let's talk about Bryce Aiken because this is going to become a storyline as much as the storyline for Shavar is such a great story that we want to make movies about it. Let's talk about Bryce Aiken, okay? Because, because here's my issue. We talked about this Seton Hall team being projected to be upper half of the biggies, somewhere in that four to five range. You know, coaches picked them fifth. You know, Fant and I have them as a ceiling of potentially, you know, second in the Big East. Why? Because we thought that what Bryce Aiken was going to be able to bring to the team, if healthy, was going to be the game-changing element of this team. Nobody went through the preseason predictions and said, let's do this. Let's decide that Shavar Reynolds is going to play 38 minutes a game, and we're going to predict Seton Hall to be the fifth-best team in the Big East. The coaches didn't do that. Shavar has completely exceeded expectations for the amount of minutes that he's playing. And I think that the Seton Hall, this Seton Hall roster, the way that the minutes are being distributed can easily be, you know, a 500 type team in conference. The ceiling for this team, Tom, and correct me if I'm wrong, was if Bryce Aiken could get integrated into the chemistry of this offense, that there was a different gear. And because Bryce did not play with the team over the summer, because Willard was very cautious about his inju- injuries, he wasn't playing it, what, not non-contact up until like two practices before the season started, and then they had to pause? So he's your point guard. He was supposed to be the point guard, not Javar, and he played two practices with the entire team. And then he has a freak play where he rolls his ankle and doesn't play for seven games. We got to work him back in. So you're right. Maybe Willard needs to tell him, you know what? I don't need you shooting right now. I, I think you're rushing your shot. Hone it back in, but I need you out there to run the offense dribble the basketball, pass it around so I can get Shavar a breather. I'm going to give you like 15 minutes today. Don't jack up any step back threes. Nothing off balance. Just relax. You'll get your shots. You telling me that the solution to that is don't play him, but find some time for Jahari Long? I'm I'm not telling you that's the solution, Mike, but I'm telling you in, in these 12 minutes, Bryce wasn't doing step back threes. What Bryce was doing was Bryce was playing some herky-jerky offense out there, and he was getting lost on defense. He did not look good. And and at that point, you've got to say, hey, I need to give Shavar some rest. I need to get someone that might give me something positive, and you weren't, get that, you weren't getting that from Bryce. And it feel, I feel like we're pounding on this kid. You know, he had these – he had injuries coming in. He had that freak injury in that first game, and then he sat again. So it's maybe it's not fair, but it is what it is at this point. No, no. I told you, you from the beginning of the season, I did not like having to need our our grad transfer to be our second best player on this team. Yeah, it but a, the, it's a bad look, and it's coming. Up and, it's, not a, and, it's not a bad look. You lost the first game of the season to Louisville, and their best player on the court was the the number one ranked grad transfer in the entire country in Carly Jones. I'm sorry. Now, don't give me this. You know, guys are transferring from all over the country. Come on, time. You got you got a team like Kentucky taking players from all over the country on grad transfers. You got Travis Reed, who came over from Stanford a couple of years ago. They've been picking up kids from the Ivy League. I don't hear anybody complaining that the kids from the Ivy League are transferring over uh, to Kentucky playing top 10 basketball throughout the season. I- I'm sorry. Oh, oh, okay, Mike. You know, you you want to bring up these points? Fine, we'll bring up these points. No grad transfer coming to Kentucky's their best player. Sorry, not happening. Not with all those five-star guys. And you want to talk about Louisville, who we lost to? Okay, yes, Louisville is currently ranked. They're not going to be ranked tomorrow, Mike. They're sixth in the ACC, and they just got walloped. They almost got doubled up by Wisconsin uh, the other day. So don't tell me that that's a good look. 
look, your grand transfer shouldn't be your best player, Mike. That's the bottom line. Go read the box score. Carly Jones didn't play in that game. Now, I'm not saying that he's a 40-point differential versus That's that the was... the problem, Mike. But, but I'm not asking for him to be the best guy. I'm asking him to be the second best piece, <laughs> to be the point guard. Tom, to be the point guard. We just want a point guard. Uh, Mike, we got to move on because we are... Uh, uh, Mike, Mike, we're really dragging this on, man. But I, I just... I, I can think you, it's like, You know, I, one final thought. One final thought. Didn't we look like we were actually running some sort of offense in that first half? In that second half, it looked like we were content coming down, taking shots early in the shot clock, take, not even passing it around. There were numerous times when either Shavar took the shot when he dribbled it down, or there was Taco Molson and he brought the ball down and immediately drove to the basket. It didn't seem it didn't seem like we were playing a whole lot of team offense in that second half. I'm gonna beat a dead horse here until you get Bryce Aiken running the offense in pick and roll where he's relaxed and he's not playing out of control and they use his quickness to create other open shots by the defense getting broken down. Your offense is the following for now, and you're just gonna have to accept it. It's not gonna be pretty. It's Sandro in the post, and then more Sandro in the post, and then I'm gonna stuff it down their throat by giving you more Sandro in the post. And two things are going to happen because because I, I trust Sandro, not just because he's my my boy, but I trust <laughs> but I trust what I've seen so far. If Sandro gets a double team, he's going to pass out, and you're going to get open looks. If not, you're just going to have to live with it. Sandro's going to take the ball to the rim. He's either going to get the superstar foul call, or he's going to try to finish. And today, he wasn't getting the call initially, and he wasn't finishing, and he finished six for seventeen. And if we lose games because Sandro's shooting six for seventeen, you shouldn't be shocked. But don't tell me that the offense is all of a sudden getting better because we had we looked good in the first half. It just there is no offense. I don't know. There's no offense. Three of, the, three of the four last halves we looked pretty good, and that second half we looked like garbage. Because the guy was putting in thirty points a game. I mean, geez, he, did not, he did not put in thirty points at Marquette, Mike. I said three of the last four halves. He had, he had six assists in the Marquette game. He was doing everything. This is you don't want to you don't want to admit it. It's all about Sandra right now. Last point. That's why we need more positivity from Bryce. And back to my rotation. You didn't get a lot out of Samuel. Here's another guy that you're hoping is going to be another offensive weapon that was going to blossom. Tyrese played a great game against Marquette. Why did Tyrese only play 14 minutes today? I'm I'm kind of speechless myself. They have the ability to have eight guys on the court, maybe nine that you can kind of all trust and they're all interchangeable. And we went with five guys today. You're right. It just could have been that moment. Willard got stuck with his guys and you know, that's what he felt like he was going to be the best team to get him to win. But I'm starting to see favorites. I'm starting to see guys log big minutes. That's a concern. That's my sour grapes and gripes from the takeaway from this, this loss today. All right, Mike, you know, we're, 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 again, we're podcasting angry. We got to go to something <laughs> good here. And Mike, I'm going to, we're just going to go to the woe. Did you see that? No transition here. But in that Marquette game, there was a moment where Sandro ran the break. He found Kale on the wing. He passed it to Kale. Kale quickly returned it back to Sandro, who kept running. And he went up and put one down. Again, one of those monster dunks that you're not a big fan of. I know you wanted the jump stop from Sandro and he could lay it in. And it, it was just a thing to behold because I know I yelled out, whoa! Because well, he got the M1 for the dunk too, right? He got the call that time. 
Uh, and it's one of those things where a guy is 6'11", and he takes his arms and fully extends it over his head. It just looks a lot better. See, when Kayla was on his dunk today, you know, when he's out there tomahawking it, he's by himself. He's doing, like, slam dunk contest stuff. In the heat of the game, when guys are trying to block you, to me, that changes everything. It's a no-brainer. You can have your Miles Kale poster. Uh, you, you probably have Miles Kale like poster over your bed somewhere. I, you know, like, I like posing, my Miles Kale poster. Po- posing for a dunk, right? You know, right. Maybe a little montage of all of his different dunks going on. But in the, in the heat of battle, when guys are trying to block you, and Sandro throws it down like that, to me, hands down, what did you see that for this week? It's better than your John Starks poster. But you know what? Let's go and complain about a few more things here. You know, the, the announcing... On the Marquette game, I, I, I wasn't a big fan, Mike. And who wasn't a big fan of? I wasn't a big fan of Steve Lavin. Well, doesn't Steve normally do a good job? I mean, I, I like Steve typically for the most part. but and, and I like Steve's analytics, right? So he talks about what's going on in the game. He's got that coaching perspective. Steve sometimes just throws out some numbers. And I wonder if he's actually done the research on the numbers or he just kind of <laughs> had, as you and I say, sometimes you get that mush mouth. But in the Marquette game, Steve goes, hey, over the last three-plus games, Seton Hall is averaging 84 points per game. And I'm saying to myself, what the heck is a plus game? (laughs) Are we talking about, like, right now in the middle of the the game? Are we using those numbers? Because actually, over the previous four full games, Seton Hall was averaging 84 points per game. Was he basically trying to say that if you included the 25 that they had so far at that moment, plus what they averaged the three before, they were averaging 84? If you do that math, they had to average 103 over the previous three plus the 25. I know I'm, I'm, I'm nitpicking. I, 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 I I'm think nitpicking. you're nitpicking one, but I'll give you, I'll do you one better. Maybe Steve wasn't having a bad announcing day. Maybe Steve was having a bad math day. Cause let me show you another a piece of math that Steve had problems with. So toward the end of the game, score was 59, 53, and they were reviewing the free throw numbers as announcers like to do. And at that point, Seton Hall was a 9-for-12, and Marquette was a 6-for-6. Six six. And Steve comes out with this chestnut. He says, and that's the difference in the score. Well, if you do simple math, there's a 6-point differential in the score. But there's only a 3-point differential in free throws, Mike. So no, Steve... You you do you're maybe it's the common core Steve is having a hard time with. Maybe Steve needs a little help here. I think instead of sharing the sugar, Steve should have been sharing the calculator. <laughs> but uh, no, right. you, you are right. You know, we kid, we do like Steve most of the time. He's usually a good he's a good listen to normally. No, he's he's a very good in-game uh breakdown what's going on, that coach's perspective, like I said. He just he had a couple of slip ups on the numbers and I thought it was kind of fun to poke at him. All right, let's let's move on to And now deep thoughts with Kevin Willard. Quickly becoming one of my favorite segments on the show at this point. And I'm hearing out there that it's becoming a fan favorite amongst our listeners as well. All right, Tom, I, I know we don't have the actual audio from the post game since we podcasted pretty quickly after the uh, after the final buzzer. So we're just going to read them this week and then we'll deliberate. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll read the first one. So Coach Willard talked about Aiken and Jackson's future roles on the team. Obviously, we just talked about it in our last segment. We are trying to get Bryce's reps in practice. And with Trey... You know, we did not plan on him playing this season, and then we had to insert him. Thoughts? 
what is this we had to insert him? Now, was Trey Jackson, did Trey Jackson's play mean that we lost this game? No, he played a few minutes in the first half, basically nondescript minutes. I mean, there was nothing really there. I want to say that he had a foul call about 15 seconds into the game because he probably wasn't used to game time speed, but... I don't understand what this we had to insert him nonsense was. I didn't I didn't write it down. Was it around like the eight minute mark that he came in? Not uh, the eight I, minute mark, but like the first eight minutes of the game, like the 12, 12 and under time out of the first half? Something like that. Early, mid, mid first half. So what the heck was going on that it was just paramount that he had to come into that game to save the day at that moment? Was there foul trouble? Did Sandra roll an ankle? Did, did Tyrese, you know, have to use the bathroom or something like that? What what happened that he had to come in? The only thing that was going on at that point is Ike had two quick fouls in the first half and basically went to the bench. At that point, you had Sandro and Tyrese in the game, and Tyrese was being ineffective. So maybe he's sitting there thinking, well, maybe I could take Tyrese out, get Trey introduced into the team concept, and maybe we'll get something out of him. But how many times have we seen them just shift to a smaller lineup at that point. You know, you throw Roden down to the four and you've got yourself, you know, you got your rotation. So what is this? We had to insert him. I'm going to be the bad guy. Maybe this was Kevin's just nondescript way of basically trying to cover up the fact that, you know, his minutes were blase. You know, there's a lot of excitement about Trey becoming eligible and he came on the floor and you were just like, okay, he gave you two nondescript minutes there. Like you didn't get to see what he could do. He didn't really touch the ball. He didn't make an impact on defense. Only played two minutes. So I'm not criticizing his play, but there was nothing there to evaluate. And But there was a lot of excitement. And now maybe Will is just like, hey, oh, t- time out, time out. He wasn't even supposed to play this year. So, you know, maybe we should pump the brakes. Okay, but the same thing with Bryce. We're, we're trying to get him reps in practice. You know, it's not like the guy doesn't know what he's doing on the court. I'm going to start beating this drum over and over again. For this team to be able to go to the next level, I'm not saying that Shavar has to not play, but they got to find a way to get Bryce to play at least 20-plus effective minutes per game. He's that important for the ceiling of this team. That, that's my that's my cross that I'm going to bear probably for the rest of the season. And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe you're right, and maybe Bryce just doesn't fulfill the expectations, but I think he's a big piece here, and I think Willard is now kind of downplaying it. He's downplaying it big time. Okay, let's move on to another one that I saw. This was on Jared Roden's three-point attempt in overtime. We tried to run a double high pick and roll. Tried to draw Ike and draw the weak side guy, and Shavar hit Jared. I'd like to get something going to the basket on that, no matter who it is. I don't like settling for three in that instance, so I thought we executed okay, but we just didn't make the right play. I'm going to give you a quick thought, and then I'll throw it back to you late in this game, I just wanted to see Sandro get the ball every time. And if it, if it didn't work, it didn't work, but the ball should have been in Sandro's hands, every possession at the end of the day. If you get me as wide open of a look that you got for Jared Roden, now Jared's still one of our better players. I got to kind of trust that he can make a shot in that spot. I mean, it's a tie ball game. He hits that shot. We, we win. And he was wide open. So you know what? Willard can criticize all he wants. It's either Sandro got it or he got an open look. I'm not picking on this play. I know you you have a different opinion on it, though. Well, I, like you mentioned, I want to see Sandro with the ball in his hands at that point. But here's the bigger problem here. Did Jared Roden or even Miles Kale at this point have a bunch of shots in that second half after coming out like gangbusters in the first half? No. I'm thinking at this point, 
Jared's cold. Why are you giving basically the most important shot of that game to a guy who hasn't shot the ball in maybe 20 minutes at that point? And, and similarly, in the last play of the game, I know you've got three seconds to cover the entirety of the court. You got to get it to Sandro on the inbounds because he's your biggest player and he's probably your best passer at that point. Why is Molson taking that three? Molson's the least of the three-point shooters at that moment. Can, and can he we... didn't play a good game. Why are we getting these shots at the most important times, but our better players aren't getting them? I like the play call. I love the play call. You have the inbounder, throw the baseball pass to midcourt. Sandra turns, he takes a dribble. They lose sight of Molson, who busted his ass all the way down court to get the three, uh, the pass back from Sandro. I'm with you. Why couldn't that have come from a Roden? Why couldn't that pass have come from a Kale? You're, nobody was getting shots at that point, but at least those other guys were in the game. Molson had basically not played the entire second half. Look, the execution was there. It's just it was a tough shot to hit, and you you have one of your least effective three-point shooters getting the final shot. So I, I don't like who shot it. I love the play, though. I'm not, I'm not condemning Jared either. I like Jared taking shots in those kind of moments. I would have liked it better if he had taken five or six shots in the half to kind of get him ready for it but you know i'm just i'm just saying if either one of those shots goes down you're going to double overtime or jared hits the initial three and we basically win you were, we're praising willard here so normally over the years we're picking on his inbounds execution his end game execution he's getting good looks we're getting good looks to end the game i just i, I want to see the ball start with sandro when it's that late in the ball game everything needs to go through sandro right now absolutely mike you know, uh, so uh, obviously we're not in good mood here, and I'm going to worsen the mood for you, Mike. Let's go back and look at what COVID's done to us this week. What do you I mean? We're playing. I mean, you're going to see cancellations all over the schedule. You're going to see postponements all over the schedule. Teams are going to go into pauses. I think that just has now become the acceptable norm, right? They're, we're not expecting everyone to play a full even conference set of games yet. Everyone's like, oh, don't worry. Seton Hall's just got to stay above 500 at conference play. And that's like 11 and nine. Pump the brakes to play a full 20 games in conference play. I don't think is realistic. Here's why. You've already seen multiple teams in the Big East pause. It's just, I don't know if we have further pauses, how we get a full conference slate in. Hence the NCAA mandating that you only got to play 13 games to be eligible for selection for the tournament. Here's my biggest issue. We have built-in excuses sometimes in this program. Oh, just forget about the six non-conference games we played. Ah, you lost to the lesser team in uh, URI. They're, they're going to pretend that that game didn't happen. Okay, but we're lauding the win that Marquette had against number four, Wisconsin. We are putting Rutgers in the final four for all the games that they're winning so far, You know, especially the powerhouse Syracuse, as Jerry Carino described them. I, I'm sorry. You, you got to win the games on your schedule, no matter what is going on around you. Tom, Providence hadn't played since December 9th, and they came out and they beat us today. Oh, they had time to prepare for us. Yeah, but if it was the other side around, you know, Ke Kevin would have said that we were rusty, that we were stale. We had too big of a rest. You know, then you had Xavier, who was out for a COVID pause, and they just came back and beat Marquette at the buzzer today. So if it's a great win for us, that's a great win for Xavier. How does Xavier do it after being in a pause? You can't play coming out of a pause. 
You're me- you mentally can't play after being in a pause. You're in a dorm room. It's a- well, I-, I forgot what a basketball was for the last two weeks. UConn, hated UConn, also paused. And they blew the game, in my opinion. But they had Creighton on the ropes, and they lose to number nine Creighton in overtime. They were in a pause. Tom, I didn't see any issues with how these three programs came out and played high-quality basketball. But up until this point, all we hear is, ah, pauses, perfect excuse, give them a pass. I want no more excuses for the rest of the season. That's my pandemic pandemonium takeaway for this week is it is what it is. You're going to deal with what 2021 is. COVID is just part of the course that you have to navigate. No more excuses. If there's anything the doctor ordered after this game, Mike, it's what we have on the schedule next. The Georgetown Hoyas, Mike. And, you know, we're trying to schedule out a behind enemy lines for later in this week. But let's give it a little bit of a quick preview here. The Georgetown Hoyas currently are three and four on the year. They just lost to St. John's tonight. The preseason coaches poll had picked them last in the Big East. Oh, have the mighty fallen, Mike. Their best win so far this season was an overtime win against St. John's of all things, 97-94. But their worst loss to date, Navy, 78-71. Now, their roster, we all know about the roster issues from midseason last year. But additionally to that, they lost two more big components of their team. They lost Omar Yurtseven, who declared for the draft. And Matt McClung took his talents to Lubbock, Texas, of all places, to play for Texas Tech. They do bring back some talented players. They've got Javon Blair, senior guard. He's scoring 18 points a game, four rebounds, three assists. Jamarco Pickett, senior forward, 13 points, nine rebounds. So... There's not a whole lot to talk about, Georgetown, Mike. They're not a really good squad, but Coach Ewing will have them playing hard. And that's about all you could expect from them at this point. Tom, I'm exhausted. It's been a long podcast. I'm sorry. Beat beat the heck out of this team. Take care of putting two wins on your resume against the bottom feeder in the conference. There's no, I don't even care what the final score is at this point. You're going to probably tell me, oh, we got to blow them out. So we get some more minutes for other guys. Just win the games that you need to win at this point and no other excuses. You probably need to beat the St. John's, the Georgetown's of the conference. I don't even know who else is really even considered in the bottom third anymore. Cause you got teams like Xavier playing well, you know, maybe DePaul is a team that hasn't picked up a basketball yet. We should beat them twice. I don't want to hear that we went four and two, maybe I don't even want to hear five and one against those bottom three teams in the conference this year. If they want to make the NCAA tournament, they have to put games like this in the wing column. Bottom line, beat Georgetown and put yourself back on a positive track here. Dare I say, beat the brakes off on Mike? Yes, uh, yes, I'm not going to be a believer in that phrase. <laughs> not happening, not happening. Get with the times. I don't care if the phrase even exists somewhere out on Wikipedia or whatever you want to call it. Get with the times from you. Okay. All right. You know, we got to bring this up. It happened this week. So we have to talk about a pair of graduate pirates this week who didn't have the best of weeks, Mike. Romaro Gill this week was cut from the Utah Jazz. Romaro got no run from them. In the three games up until this podcast, they put him in zero minutes, and they they cut him recently. And one that's going to hurt you more, Mike. Yes, your beloved 
New York Knickerbockers cut Miles Powell just after he had made his pro debut against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Miles pulled in a two-point night, one of four shooting with one turnover. I can't believe you're going to make me even do this segment. I, I'm sorry. We we talked about it uh, prior to the season starting to have a little fun. We talked about Roe. We talked about Miles. We tried to paint the rosiest picture possible of how it might play out if they made an NBA roster or what they could do to make one. But the reality is, Tom, this is a I told you so. You know, I mean, Roe and Miles, they just, you know, they don't have the measurables. They don't have the age requisite for these teams to invest in them beyond the exhibition uh contract that they got there'll be an opportunity to go play in the g league but i'm sorry there was only what three to four preseason games on the schedule this year there was no summer league there was very limited opportunity for these teams to get you know acclimated with each other they do have other new faces and the season's about to start miles and row are nba project as projects at this point to go into the, those preseason games and be disappointed in the organizations for not allowing them to make the roster or giving them the minutes needed to make an impression. That is wrong. It's not the Knicks fault. It's not the Knicks fault. Oh, that Miles... it's never the Knicks uh... fault, Mike, never the Knicks fault there. I told you when they signed them to the contract, get away from the Knicks miles. They have ruined enough young careers over the years. Get away. In all seriousness. What do I think happens going forward? I think Miles makes a G League team somewhere along the line. There's plenty of teams out there that could use a guy like that. I think Roe goes Europe. I do not see, or Europe, South America, something of that nature. I don't see another team signing him. He's not that prototypical center anymore. I mean, people don't want that back-to-the-basket seven-foot guy anymore. And and he's and he's twenty. What is he? Twenty six now. So I mean, you know, there it's just not made for him in the NBA anymore. Let me Dan, end the damn podcast on a positive, and you're not letting me. Roe is not a back to the basket player. He doesn't have an offensive game. <laughs> oh, come man. on, Tommy! Didn't have a cop. Oh, Mike, why are you? No, you're gonna tell me he's five fouls next, people Mike. Are, stop people are gonna, it. Are gonna hate me. He had a very nice pick and roll game for college. He was a rim protector, but. He is not the type of player that can step out and stretch the floor like the NBA wants now. He can't go into the post and put together a couple moves and, and back his guy down offensively. He's a one-dimensional defensive player. He's going to get money somewhere. He's going to have a pro career if he wants one. It's just not going to be in the NBA. And the reality is, unless Miles Powell finds the unique scenario of an organization embracing who he might be, and gives him that opportunity to shine. It's not going to happen for Miles either. We joke and say that the NBA does not draft or invest time in 6'2 two, two guards. I mean, Miles is probably not even 6'2, Tom. He's probably 5'11, you know? He's probably, you know, 6'2 in oh, sneakers. Oh, he's not that short, Mike. Stop. But, but, but he's not a point guard. I mean, he, they, they he'll, he'll make a G League roster somewhere. But, but that's a G League roster. People are upset right now because he got cut from the NBA roster. He was told after the combine last year, go back, work on your handle, develop into a potential NBA point guard. He came out as a shooting scoring guard again. He did not come out and say, look what I did to develop my game. People should not be upset at this result. Just wish Miles the best. 
have them continue to work hard and prove people wrong, and we'll continue to cheer them on. But, you know, th- this is not the end of the road for Miles just because he got cut. And hopefully not for Roe either, but I'm with you. Roe's probably more international, and we're just going to kind of hope our best for Miles that he ends up on the big stage. Okay, Mike. So, like I mentioned earlier, we're hoping for a behind enemy lines later in the week, but we've got Georgetown Wednesday. We're hoping that the Pirates can bounce back. And as always, we're going to be sitting there rooting for them, and we're going to say, go Pirates. Tom, if they lose to Georgetown, it's going to be a miserable Christmas. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle, at Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 